Oh yeah, the the, the things that we can do um, today in in the the granularity that we can get into from either targeting people or the the analytics that we get back on things that we do on the digital side are absolutely amazing. They blow my mind on what we can see and and what we can do. The Real Estate Sessions is brought to you by FIRST. FIRST knows that a real estate professional's most valuable asset is their relationships. A strong personal network is the moat that can guard against any industry disruption. But there's never enough time to nurture your network the way you want to. FIRST powers top agents with artificial intelligence to spotlight the people who are most likely to sell. This brings focus and attention to make important connections when it matters most. Learn more and request a free demo at first.io. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice for real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 167 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. I appreciate it. It's how we continue to grow, uh, our little corner of the internet. And uh, today, I'm excited. I get to go back to another RE.net member. I've been on a roll lately talking to these people who were early in in the uh, real estate, kind of the, the social tech boom that happened in the 2005 on up range. Uh, and and my guest today is Derek Overby. Derek is Vice President of Marketing and Technology with Intero. Uh, Derek, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Bill. I'm yeah. glad to be here. Thank you so much for your time. I, I love, can't wait to talk to you because I know you've you've seen a lot happen in this industry. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're from the startup world. You've done all kinds of cool things. And so uh, I'm really excited to, to to chat with you for this half hour. I, I I know you're Northern California now. I are you a California native? I'm not a California native. I actually grew up. I uh, was born in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and moved to Southern California when I was a wee lad in the uh, sixth grade. And then uh, after going to school down in Orange County at Cal State Fullerton, I moved up to Northern California in the uh, late '90s. Even did a little stint up in uh, Portland, Oregon for about a year and a half. Uh, but I, Northern California has been my home for a good part of uh, about uh, almost 20 years now. I'm coming up on that Portland stint seems to be kind of mandatory for a lot of Californians. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I had to get rained on for a little while so uh, I could appreciate the sun again. Right. Just to realize that even though it can rain a lot in Northern California, it ain't Portland dreary, right? It's no, <laughs> no. I, I, it was funny. I went there. Um, I moved up in like like late May of like I think it was like ninety eight, and it literally rained. Or it doesn't really rain there. It just it's gray with this mist. Oh. But it did that from like late May to like past July fourth every single day. And I and I'm I'm a pretty upbeat person, and that was the first time in my life that I ever got a little depressed because I was like I just want to see the sun again, please. Right. The people say the same thing about maybe Idaho and. And Montana yeah. and all those places where you just the winters the sun never appears and and that yeah. that'll wipe you out if you grew up in <laughs> you see you grew up in Arizona and also we'll call it the Inland Empire Kern County right of California that's there's it's it's sunny 350 days a year there exactly yeah you see a lot of sun and you don't realize what that does to your uh, to your sanity uh, yeah. until you uh, get it taken away. So you you had the experience of living uh, you, you went uh, through college at, at, at Fullerton. 
and then you've lived up now in uh, the Northern California area. Give me that dichotomy, that difference between Northern California and Southern California. There is a distinct difference, right? Definitely. Um, I think, you know, I spent a big time of my, uh, you know, college years and even a little bit after my, when I was first getting started kind of with my, my business career in Orange County and Orange County is really, uh, you know, it's about the beaches. It's about having fun. It's about just living that Southern California lifestyle, Northern California, a little bit more buttoned up. You know, you got Silicon Valley, you got San Francisco. You can't, if you like tech, there's no better place to be. And I've had my fair share of startups. I've seen kind of the insides and outsides of, of what that means. Um, but I, I really do like Northern California just because there's so many things right here. We got the ocean, we've got Tahoe, we've got the big redwoods. Uh, there's just a lot of different things going on and I'm really a kind of an outdoors kind of guy. So it really does fit my, uh, my lifestyle. And I've, I've got a wife and a couple of kids now, so it uh, it works out well for us. Yeah, great place to raise a family. Are you, are you East Bay or on the other side? I'm actually on the peninsula. I'm in uh, Redwood City, which is almost dead center between San Francisco and San Jose. So I, I, I get to see pretty much everything. Great spot to be. Yeah, I'd, I think if Burlingame's close to you, right? Yeah, it's uh, just north of us, about uh, 15 minutes or so. Yeah, a good friend of mine lived there, and it was I always found it to be a great place to go hang out. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, we just, we just opened a brand new office, uh, an Intero office in the Berlin game uh, just a couple weeks ago. Awesome. So that's, I got to ask you, you've been there for a long time now. Uh, it's got to be either Giants or A's, Niners, Raiders. Are you a big you know Warriors fan now? Tell me, <laughs> where do you wear your – No, so, so because of my torrid past – um, I actually grew up uh, on the NBA side. I'm still a Phoenix Suns fan. Wow. Uh, the reason that was is my dad was a uh, a Phoenix uh, policeman for 26 years. And he was uh, one of the guys that was, they you know, the D.A.R.E. program first launched that in uh, in Phoenix. And so he got to bring in, you know, the, the Van Arsdale brothers and Truck Robinson and all the, the old players for the Phoenix Suns. And I got to hang out with those guys. And so, you know, you're a little kid who's, five, six years old. And you're just, you see this six foot seven guy come up to you and you're like, Oh my God, this is incredible. So still a, a huge diehard Phoenix Suns fan actually became uh, on the NHL side. I'm a Kings fan, an LA Kings fan, not because I lived in Southern California, but because the Roadrunners uh, who used to play at old veteran stadium in, yeah. in Phoenix yeah. were the minor, they played in the IHL. They were the minor league team for the Kings. So, so a lot of the guys that I followed on the IHL side moved up to the Kings. So you went to that's the Madhouse on McDowell and watched the road. I did. As a little kid. I, that's awesome. As a little kid. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, my football side is, is actually Raiders, but not because I live here, because my brother was a Raiders fan for whatever reason. And I just followed my brother's lead and just became a Raiders fan and have been, you know, a Raiders fan my entire life. So, and then on the baseball side, I'm actually a uh, an LA Angels fan because I went to Cal State Fullerton and I was literally probably five minutes from uh, old Anaheim Stadium, right? And uh, just went and got I went and saw a bunch of games and just you know kind of got mixed in with that. You're all messed up. There's so much going on. <laughs> Every time I tell that to some people, they're like, "Oh my god!" But I, I like what's wrong with you. I, I like your tenacity. I like your intuitiveness. Yep. I'm sure that helps yes. you in your business career. So I love. That. Yes, I haven't got a lot of championships in my life, but I've had a lot of fun uh, through the years. Yeah, 
Yeah, I was going to say I lived in Phoenix for 17 years, and so I went through the Nash years with Stoudemire and, and Marion, and you had yep. to love that. Then, yep. then you had the, the we had some had some great years, and then uh, had the uh, the the torment of that shot uh, in the uh, the '95 finals. Yeah, and uh, Paxson just yep. killing us. Dagger, know, so. dagger. Yep. Well, let, we let's, can't talk about that. I'm going to start crying. <laughs> we'll move on. So let's. So yeah, yeah. you're at school at, at, at Cal State Fullerton. So where? What were you going to do when you got out of school? What was your major? I actually got a degree in uh, public relations, of all things. I was actually a history major for a year and a half, and then realized I was going to have to go to school for like ten years to make a career out of it, and I didn't really like that. So I switched over to public relations, and I actually got into high tech PR. Um, I was working at a firm in Southern California, a company called the Benjamin Group, just had a love of technology in general and was working on some, you know, some great accounts. Uh, we had the, uh, back there, uh, Toshiba America was down in Irvine, California. And so that was one of our main accounts. We had all their their co- their computer systems division. So I was working on uh, the Equifax desktop computer division. And wow. so yeah, did that for about six years. Actually moved up to Northern California because of that. Uh, started working with a company called the Weber Group and uh, was working on uh, Gateway Computer, which is no longer around. That was our big account. Just fell in love with technology as a whole and and knew how to talk about it and knew how to present it to uh, to reporters and stuff. And it was just a good fit, but I, it, it's really kind of monotonous. And so I just got kind of tired of that you know, doing that same thing and, and kind of started venturing off into the, the startup world after that. So how do you, how does real estate enter the picture for you? You're already in Northern California. What, what pulls you in? When I did my little stint up in uh, Portland, I was still working for the Weber group had actually merged with a huge uh, global PR firm called Shanwick and they became Weber Shanwick. And I actually got recruited from a, a company called eHome, which was one of the first uh, kind of digital online real estate companies uh, back in the day when Zip Realty, there was another company out of Texas called E Realty, and then we were in San Jose, a company called eHome, and uh, got recruited them to run their marketing communications division. That was my first stint into to real estate on a formal level. Right, I'd never bought or sold a house or anything like that, and got kind of my feet uh, held to the fire about learning about real estate in a very short time. And that was, that was like 99. And I think I was there for all of about eight months before we ran out of money and the, the whole dot com blow up happened and uh, was suddenly out of a job. That was right when all of that stuff kind of came crashing down. And so, yeah, we went through, we went through $22 million in about a year and a half, which is just, you think about that even in today's world and you're like, Oh my God, that's a lot of money to, to spend in a year and a half. So Intero, this is where you joined them for the first time then, right? Is it right after this? Well, it was shortly after that. I was kind of trying to find, you know, the, the market was really kind of terrible then. We went to another venture called Soma Living out of San Francisco, which was another real estate venture that, you know, ran out of money again. Um, actually, after that was just kind of doing some freelancing and uh, a buddy of mine had a print company and he was uh, struggling because he had just got this new account, Intero real estate services and asked me if I wanted to run one of the regions. And I said, Hey, I'm not doing anything right now. Why not? And so we ran that for about a year 
And uh, Intero had actually just let their VP of marketing go and said, uh, hey, uh, I was meeting with the CEO and he said, you know, we're looking for someone. Uh, a buddy of mine knew him and introduced me. And he said, uh, what if we bought your print company and brought it in-house and you become our you know, VP of marketing? And I was like, sounds good to me. <laughs> and so yes. that, that was like 2003, I think. And I was here for uh, about five years uh, into uh, 2008. So five years of uh, really getting a sense of what happens in the real estate world. I mean, very a close look at um, not so much the life of an agent, but the life of you know a company and how they handle. Yeah, different parts really understanding about what a brokerage does and what value they bring and kind of how they work with the agents. It was it was a, a totally different experience than what I worked at with eHome or Soma Living because it, it it was more traditional. So I really got to see the the nuts and bolts of, of what happens and, and how to support that from a marketing level. Right. But but Derek, the startup world comes calling again. <laughs> they came knocking again. I had the bug still, Bill. It, it was still it was still hitting me. Let's talk then about the the next few the really the next ten years, right? Because that's kind of the path. Sometime in the summer of 2008, we were working with a company called Roost, um, which was a it was it was very truly a Zillow esque. Um, we were a portal, but the way that we did it a little bit differently was we actually had access to the MLS data, and we just had brokerages sponsor the different regions that they covered. And so uh, started talking with those guys and. I remember I was with uh, Alex Chang, who was the CEO at the time, and I was having lunch with him. He was just trying to find out, you know, how the product was working and everything. And I just had one of those bad days, uh, you know, it just happened to be kind of serendipity. And I said, yeah, it's just been one of those, you know, bad days. And he said, hey, if you're ever, you know, looking to to do something different, so, you know, give me a call. And I kind of looked at him and just thought to myself and I got back to my my desk and just sent him an email on my private email and said, Hey, were you, were you serious? And he said, yeah, because they were trying to break into the brokerage world and didn't really have anyone on staff that, that had any real, real estate experience. And so, you know, long story short, I, I went there and I was there probably a month, a month and a half later and uh, headed up uh, the industry relations division for roost. And we, did a pivot after about a year or so and became a, a social media platform for small business because Zillow and Trulia were just eating up the world uh, in, in the online space, in the portal world. And we just knew that we couldn't uh, fight with them because they were just too big and had an opportunity to sell that company because I was probably employee, I think I was employee six at Roost and uh, had an opportunity to sell to a company called Vertical Response, which is a email marketing company. They're still and, around. They're still around today doing their thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the cool thing about it was it was, you know, uh, it, some of these, you know, everyone thinks, oh, they go to this company and they get acquired. They think, oh, we get all this money and everything. That's not always how, how it works because a lot of that was tied up in, uh, in stock. And so I remember vividly, um, I had my stock certificates in my desk drawer because I was like, I'd been through this game before. I was like, oh my God, those are not going to be worth anything. So I just kind of put them to the side and everything. And I remember the COO came to us, the, all the, the existing members of Roost that were there when we got acquired. And they came back one day and said, hey guys, uh, we need to have a special meeting. And they said, 
vertical response is going to get acquired by a company called Deluxe Corporation out of uh, Minnesota. Yeah, we need you guys to pull all your all your stock certificates together, and we're going to do your we're going to accelerate all your your packages and everything. And I was like, oh my god, where where those stock certificates? <laughs> those things are actually worth some money now. So we we actually made some money on the second acquisition, um, but to go through two acquisitions within like a two year time period was was pretty exciting and uh, a lot of fun. I'm um, sure it was. Now there, there's another company that comes into play here because then you decide you 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 and a, maybe a couple partners talk about yo data. Yeah. So what were you doing there? Yeah. Oh, I was sitting around as as all this was kind of going on, and a a, a friend of mine. A guy named Dave Duran, who some people might know in the industry, he was one of the uh, co-founders of a company called Sonic Eagle, which started, they built Agent Achieve for Intero, actually, uh, back when I was here the first time. And he was looking to do something different. It was uh, basically a, for lack of a better word to get into the the whole nuts and bolts of it, it was middleware for uh, storing data and structuring data. He had left uh, CoreLogic at the time and said, hey, do you want to do this? And I said, yeah, this sounds great. And we did that for about two years while all this other stuff was kind of going on. And I had left uh, Vertical Response because, you know, a lot of different factors, but I had left there. And so I was spending some time on this. And the reason that I came back to Intero while all this was happening was I just needed um, insurance for my kids. So I was doing a little consulting for Intero at the time, but still working on Yodata. And your data is still going today. My internal issue with everything was I just, my kids were getting older and I, I couldn't work the, you know, the 15, 16 hour days that it, you know, that it needed for a startup. And so I, you know, I talked to Dave and just said, Dave, I love this idea. I love this company, but I just can't do this anymore. And he, you know, we're still very good friends to this day and I wish him nothing but success as he moves forward. But I just, I had to just, kind of walk away and get into something that was a little bit more stable in my life just for my family. Yeah, you know, I watch a show like a Silicon Valley or anything that's, you know, a kind of kind of an exaggeration or a dramatization of of what that startup world is like, but it probably hits some points pretty closely, right? The fact that they the the hours are insane and the yeah, effort you're literally you're getting up at 5 in the morning, you know, getting your kids ready to go off to school and then once they're out that door you're working from probably around 7.38. You're working all through the day. You go maybe pick up your kids, get them uh, dinner. You get them bath and put them, get them into bed. And then you're working from 8, 9 o'clock until midnight, 1 in the morning. And you're doing that over and over again. And it yeah. just starts to drain on you. Yeah, um, It seems glamorous from the outside, but when you're actually doing it, it's a, it's a, pretty, uh, it's a pretty hard haul. I'll step back in time a little bit. And, and uh, recently I had Andy Kaufman on the podcast. I know you know Andy very well. And, I do. Uh, and he, he mentioned you in, in his episode as one of the uh, RE.net crew that when he decided to, to put together that first RE bar camp, you were one of the first people to reach out and give him a call and go, hey, I'm in. What do you want to do? Yeah, definitely. We, you know, we did that first one there in San Francisco before the Inman in, uh, God, I guess that was 2000. It was 2008 or 2009. I, I can't it was remember. 2008. 2008. Yeah, you just had the 10-year anniversary. Yeah, because yeah, we, yeah, we just had the 10-year anniversary. And I just thought it was a great concept because I had been to traditional bar camps before, and I thought they were just an absolute blast because, you know, you just put up all these ideas on a board and you just got to kind of go and 
hear just interesting people talking about interesting stuff. And I'm like, I think I was more intrigued by like, how would that work in the real estate and real estate technology arena? And it was brilliant. It was, we had such great conversations and, and discussions. Um, and some of those people that I met at that, uh, that first Ari Bar camp are still some of my best friends in the world. I, it's, it's hard to believe that, you know, 10 years later, some of those people, I just, I can stay at their house if I'm in their area. I can have dinner with them. I talk to them on a regular basis. Um, I can email them for anything that I need and they'll help. It's just a very tight knit and, and very giving community. And I'm, I'm so glad I was a part of that uh, from the beginning. You know, I was able to uh, sneak into that 10 year reunion that, that y'all had. And it was, uh, it was a pretty powerful wrap up session with, with people getting up there and sharing what bar camp had done for them. You know, look, you're hearing a guy like Jeff Turner get up there and, you know, detail some of the relationships that he made that, you know, created such opportunities. Right. And, and every one of you have those same stories. Yeah, it, it was, it was, it was emotional because some of those people, you know, they're speaking from the heart because, you know, some of them have said it, that changed their entire life. It changed the, the trajectory of, of where they were going with their career. And it's, it's amazing to, to know that you had, you know, that kind of an impact on their lives. I mean, Andy's, for example, I mean, I knew Andy, but I didn't like know Andy. And, you know, the next thing I know, he, you know, he gets married to Ginger Wilcox, you know, who was also part of that first original RE.net. And then I was, you know, I did a reading at their wedding. It's like, that's how close, you know, we've become over the years. It's just, it's really remarkable that, uh, that, that kind of panned out the way that it did. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, let's, let's get back to Intero because you're, you're back there again now. And I, I think you have this unique uh, look at things, right? Because you're in a similar role, actually the same role. And, and you have to, it has to be night and day different over what you were doing 10 years ago versus what you're doing now. Can you, can you address that and talk about some <laughs> of those? I mean, it must be crazy. Yeah. I, I think the main component is that, uh, you know, that traditional way that we used to do real estate was more um, just from like a, a marketing and advertising perspective. You know, I remember how many newspapers we were in back then and how much money we were spending on print uh, back in the day. It was, it was, it was unbelievable the amount of money that was, that those papers were making back then. And I see what we do now and, and how everything is shifted to, you know, digital and online and social. But now, you know, we have so much more flexibility in how we uh, put our messages out not only from a brokerage level, but even the individual agents and how they're building their own little personas. You know, we have some of the, the heavy hitters that are coming up so much quicker now because they know how to leverage technology in their business. And I feel bad for some of them because some of the, uh, the more seasoned agents, they just don't understand it or they just refuse to understand it. And it's really starting to have an impact on their business, which is um, unfortunate. I would say overall, it's just, you know, technology has really changed the industry as a whole. And I, I think you don't really notice it as greatly unless you're in it. And especially for me, having seen it from, uh, you know, almost 16 years ago to today is, is really, it's astonishing uh, what's gone on. Maybe back in 2010, 
when someone said, hey, if you don't learn technology, you're going to be out of the business in five years. It was a little early. But, Probably. But today, I'm not saying you have to learn it, but you have to be able to embrace it or and, uh, leverage it a little bit. Or maybe that statement's going to start coming true, right? I, I think it is. As, as we uh, start to come into the tail end of, of a lot of agents' careers, I think maybe they're not being necessarily forced out but their business is changing. And in, if they're not in position to willingly accept that and, and do something about it or able to do it, you know, to learn the technology, I think it really is, it's, it's impacting their business one way or the other. Right. And so, you know, you may not necessarily think you need to utilize technology in your business and you say, Oh, that's just, you know, I do business the old fashioned way, belly to belly, you know, and, and that still is, you still have to have those interpersonal skills to be able to sell real estate. But I think technology allows you to be more, so much more efficient in your business. Yeah. And I think that's what it's all about because I see single agents and the amount of transactions that they can do because they're leveraging technology and it's, it's phenomenal. It's uh, it's absolutely unbelievable what they can do with so little. I want to pick your startup brain again. There is an, an enormous amount of money being, you know, I mean, venture capital money, at-risk money, not loans or debt, but <laughs> these are people <laughs> yes. putting a lot of money <laughs> on the line uh, with a ton of these companies. And it's you know, disruption, disruptors, I know that's become the, uh, it's almost a cliche already, it's the buzzword, but but companies like Compass, who who have now a billion dollars in venture capital and a $4 billion valuation, and then iBuyers like Opendoor and Offerpad, you know, with put, both of those maybe pushing a half a billion, and Knock is there, you know, at, at a lower level, but there's all these, this is just, this is like nothing we've ever seen before in real estate. What do you so from a, as a brokerage? Um, the, what are some of the strategies, or just talk about this whole process? How do you? How do we? How, oh, it's just I'll just leave it at that. This is a crazy time. Yeah, it is a crazy time, and it's uh, I think more has happened within the last probably two three years than happened, you know, in all the time that I've been in this industry, you know, before that. And I think at the end of the day, you have to evolve with the changing times, I don't think you have to go in and, and totally change your business model, but you do have to make adaptations to it in order to not necessarily change because these other companies have come into the mix. But the reason that these companies have come into the mix is that they are listening. They're listening to their agents. They're listening to their customers. They're listening to other companies. And so I think evolution is good within the industry. Do I think that Compass is going to, you know, rule the world? I'm not sure because, you know, I don't know if they're necessarily getting into the brokerage business to be a broker. My kind of understanding of what's going on now is that the data is the key. And that's for all these companies, whether you're talking about Open Door or OfferPad or Compass or Zillow, it's all about the data. And what kind of data can you get that's going to give you 
some predictive models that will let you know who's ready to do something. And I think that's where these companies are are really winning. We're working right now with a company called Offers out of Florida. They've got this predictive model that they're basing off of like, I don't know, 26 different data sources. And the stuff that they can see that's happening within an individual household is absolutely amazing. And so I think what it's doing is it's bringing efficiencies to the business model of being a broker or being an agent that we just never had before. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting the next uh, two to five years to see how this all kind of plays out because compasses in their situation, yeah, they have all this money and they say that they never have to pay this back and, and all of that. But at the end of the day, you have to make money or people are not going to give you any more money. And so if they can make this work, a more power to them. But I'm still kind of on the sidelines wondering if you're just buying market share, how that model is sustainable and how it's um, scalable. I, I just don't, there's too much real estate happening in the, on a national level to make that work. And I don't know if you just get into the top 20 markets, you know, and have 20% market share. I just don't know how those numbers work um, long-term. Right. Because it's not like you keep that 20% forever. Because we know, you and I especially know, real estate agents are a hot commodity. And there's always going to be someone else that comes along and says, Joe Smith, come over to our brokerage. They either write them a check or they entice them with some kind of new marketing tool or, or something. And so it, it ebbs and flows too much to just think that you're going to get to that level and you're going to stay at that level. And so I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic about how it's all going to flush out. I like that. It's, it, and it's interesting. You, you say, you know, cause compass has this one, has this certain uh, cachet, we'll call it. But then you yeah. got Glenn Sanford at EXP Realty, which is a, a whole different, I mean, talking about a completely different model, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. It, you know, so there's, there's all these ways to make it work. Um, but but it'll be fun to see. I think we, you're right. There's going to be this this time frame in the next two, like two to five is a great uh, measurement uh, window to see, you know, where we go. One thing also that, that they don't take into consideration of this is, you, you and I know a, a, a gentleman by the name of Jim Wahlberg mm-hmm. and Jim works at Pacific union and compass just acquired Pacific union a couple months ago. And Jim said something very interesting. He said, you know, I came to Pacific union on my own accord. I liked, you know, their business model. I liked what they stood for. i liked Mark, you know, who was their CEO. There was all these things. And I made the decision to come there. He said, this is the first time that I didn't make the decision. I didn't make the decision to go to Compass. My company, my brokerage got acquired. And maybe that maybe that culture, maybe that philosophy doesn't mesh with his style. So that's what also is not taking into consideration in this whole thing. It's like, yeah, they acquired this brokerage that had, you know, all of these agents, but do they all stay there? Right. That's that's there's a lot of factors that everyone's not taking into consideration as all of this is kind of playing out. Well, let's, let's get back to you and Intero. The, what you do today, we talked about is so different, but I, I'm always, um, 
excited to talk about you know the 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 AI, the predictive analytics you talked about with offers, the machine learning that's going on with like a real scout, all this stuff that's happening. I th- I would think as a marketing guy, you have got to love the fact that you are getting super specific on who sees your marketing. That has to be a the best thing ever, right? Oh yeah, the the, the things that we can do um, today in in the the granularity that we can get into from either targeting people or the the analytics that we get back on things that we do on the digital side are absolutely amazing. They blow my mind on what we can see and and what we can do. Um, I wish we had this, you know, ten years ago. Yeah, it's been very interesting to to see the evolution um, because I remember back in the in the day when we we were excited about, you know, Google AdWords that we could, oh my God, we can throw up our ad on a, on a certain keyword or phrase. And, you know, people will, will see that and they'll type that into Google and we'll come up, you know, in the ad section. But the stuff like Facebook scares me sometimes because the amount of data that they have on people and people just don't know like everything that they have on you because you freely share that with, with the platform. It gets kind of scary when you're, you know, you're sitting there talking about something and, and next thing you know, you know, an ad for that, whatever you were talking about shows up on Facebook or Instagram. You're like, oh, my God, Big Brother is really kind of watching. Um, so I think it's exciting, but it's, you know, on a personal level, it's a little scary, too. You have to kind of protect yourself uh, on a certain level um, because there is a lot of stuff that's uh, that's being gathered on you that you may not necessarily want out there in the uh, in the world. Yeah. You don't want to get in the wrong hands. That's for sure. And, and, and like they're, they're fighting yeah. that battle all day long. And really the concept you're talking about is right place, right time. That, that has yeah. never, beca- that has never been more um, possible than, than today. It's amazing that you can be, you know, you don't have to do the shotgun approach anymore. Yeah. You um, and it makes you just, I think you feel so much better when you are efficient with not only your spin, but just your, you know, your ability to, like you said, be in that right place at the right time, because we have really been just trying to uh, just hit them when we thought they were going to be in the right time, but we had really no clue on it. Um, I read a book called uh, Zmot uh, several years ago. So it's a Google book and it's, it's, you know, winning the, the zero moment of truth. And it's, you know, Google has learned so much over the years on how to properly target people exactly when they're at that right point to um, to want to make a purchase, and it's it's a little bit more challenging with uh, with real estate, especially here in the Bay Area, because the pricing is so high, and you know there's so much competition and everything. But it's it really we have seen it in our internet leads of of being able to target that person and get them right at that moment when they're really starting to to shift and go you know what, this could really become a reality and I could really, you know, see myself in this home and to be able to get them and convert them. It's, it's pretty darn exciting. And, uh, and I just, I know we're going to be able to do it even more efficiently, even in the next five, 10 years. Um, but right now it's just, it's light years ahead of what we were just 10 years ago. And so I know it's just going to keep getting better and better and better. I can hear that passion in your voice, Derek. <laughs> You're going to have a lot of fun. It is there, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, 
it's been really fun coming back this second time because uh, I get to really utilize my uh, my my little bit of technology understanding with my my marketing background, and it's exciting to make those two gel and actually see the results uh, of my uh, of my actions. Yeah. Well, hey, I've had you the half hour I promised I uh, would kind of keep you to, and I want to ask you the same question I've asked every guest, and that is. What one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started in the business? I've got a little two two pieces. Okay. One, I would make sure that I have enough capital to sustain my business because I think unfortunately, real estate has a lower barrier of energy than some industries. And so I think people think that they can just, you know, kill it right out of the gate. It does take time to get your your name, your face your passion out there in the public. And so if you don't have enough capital to sustain that for, you know, at least a year, you're probably setting yourself up for failure, unfortunately. And so you need to have something to back onto. And then the second thing is I would don't give up. I mean, don't, you know, if you, if you get rejected on that first listing appointment, don't give up because you're going to refine that. I've, I've seen a couple of people that we've had in our brokerage that are, you know, in their early twenties, mid twenties that just have perfected what they do on a daily basis and have learned more and more. And they're now at the point where they're, they're really, they're, they're having incredible success. And one of those main reasons is they didn't give up with the rejection that comes in this industry. And so have the capital and just, uh, you know, keep fighting the fight. Derek, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, my email is always open. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, doverby at intero.com. It's D-O-V-E-R-B-E-Y. Derek, thank you so much for your time today. I really had a lot of fun picking your brain. I think it's, uh, like I said, just a cr- crazy, exciting, cool, and scary time, right? <laughs> so thank, yeah, thank, thank you for it, Yeah, thanks for your time. Well, thank you for having me, Bill. I I really enjoyed our conversation. It was uh, was really good.